the easiest way to prevent Discord like people, yeah. scams would be to change the default on private DMs. No, the whole That's point of Discord was you can That's message anyone. That was their whole advertising bit. So you, you don't need a friend request. You can message anyone. And then you're saying, but to use it safely, just don't. Yeah. And then every every group you join, they're like, okay, so just turn <laughs> just off, turn off all the chat where stuff. anyone can directly contact you because every single time it's a scam. Yeah. Started during lockdown, needed something to do. They looked at each other, they said, hey, I like talking to you. And so from a garden shed in a box room in West London, they're discussing tech. Do you think you could do a recap of like crypto markets, but like dialing it back like a month? Because <laughs> I don't even know what's happening about then. <clears throat> yeah, I think you might be ready for this week stroke this month in crypto. Go for it. So in the past week, generally things have gone up and things have gone down. But overall, the crypto market has more or less ended up back where it started. In the past month surprisingly from a from a month ago from where we are now we're about three four percent up oh that is surprising and where we are now is uh dollars is the price of one bitcoin and ethereum is in at one thousand three hundred dollars and that was this week stroke this month in crypto i saw in i forget where i saw it but Ethereum has had its first few blocks now of deflationary blocks. Oh, really? Or yeah. deflationary. Can you call it deflationary issuance? Basically, more was burnt than was issued. That's quite interesting. Obviously, it's still inflating because of the, the uses of the network hasn't been high enough to be con- constantly deflationary. But it's quite an interesting one that they've actually had moments where it has gone deflationary. The way you described the last month, it actually sounds relatively stable and what was really surprising is i saw an article the other day that said that recently u.s stocks are now more volatile than crypto and guess the basis i think the nasdaq in particular uh, there's been some really sharp sell-offs from some big tech stocks and earnings calls have been met with quite substantial volatility versus crypto which is actually people have forgotten about because it's all dead and it's it's the winter no one cares it's all I think most people think that Bitcoin and Ethereum have gone to zero in the in the wider sense of the world because there's more yeah. important things. And actually, it hasn't gone to zero, but it is just being nice and boring. Is that a fair takeaway? Ethereum is surprisingly low at $1,300. And Bitcoin is below 20K at $19,000. So they're both um, alarmingly low and below certain mm. key thresholds that should give you pause for thought. Like Bitcoin sitting quite comfortably below 20K and mm. now having done so consistently and again and again for so long that it's no longer even a talking point. Yeah. That should make you pause for thought. Um, and yet it isn't, neither is it the number zero. So yeah, there is that. As for mm. it's stable enough to be boring... It is still fluctuating quite a lot. Did you see Solana had another day off? <laughs> Just uh, what's happened to Solana? Public holiday. They've had quite a few this this year, and um, <laughs> I mean, what's happened? What's happened now? What happened? I think it was October first. So 
they had another outage where one of the nodes was configured wrong and it it just caused the whole thing to go down. And what they do is this weird, weird thing where they're like, they just gather up all the validators because there's not that many of them. And they go, we're going to do a quick pause and then a restart. And then they get the thing going again. And no one minds because it's not critical infrastructure yet. It's just, it's starting to become its own meme in the sense that they've had like four or five of these this year. And it's always due to like, some node or some software that's running incorrectly and and then they're like oh it's all right we'll patch it and fix it and it's like you can do that if it's just like a normal like web server and you're like running an azure stack and you're trying to like yeah we had an outage we've just fixed it and it's we've we've done it you you shouldn't really do that when it's a distributed blockchain but it yeah they uh they had another break and they're back while we're on this, okay. um, can we talk about the BNB bridge hack? And then again, oh, yeah. a, it's a parallel here. So BNB has a limited number of validators. I'm going to say it's 14. It's like 21, isn't it? And that means that... Oh no, 44. When, You're right. 44? Yeah. When that, that means that when the BNB bridge hack happened, they could just, I guess, phone up all the validators, tell them to all stop what they're doing. And then did they do a rollback to stop the stolen funds? Or was it courtesy of USDT who helped them to isolate and prevent the funds from being moved around? They froze, they froze the USDT funds, but a lot of it um, got washed through Ethereum. Okay. Because as soon as they'd... So crucially, this is a not Binance Smart Chain that was compromised. It was the BSC Token Hub, which is a cross-chain bridge. So... So they stole 100 million BNB. They, within two minutes, they basically issued a load of DeFi loans. So they basically like washed it through liquidity pools. And then they bridged it out to like multiple EVM compatible chains. So like things that are compatible with the Ethereum um, virtual machine. So that would be like Ethereum, Avalanche, Phantom, Polygon, Arbitrum, Optimism. They basically did it all at once to just bridge it out to things that aren't on the Binance Smart Chain. And once it's on those, um, it's free. <laughs> you know, it's 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 gone. Because all of those theoretically are censorship resistant. They're not, no one's going to, you can freeze, for instance, you can freeze USDT, you can freeze USDC. You're not really going to freeze any Ethereum on, on these. Yeah. Binance said it was able to recover 7 million from its partners. You know what's kind of interesting about it? I listened to, I listened to like a full breakdown of this on, on the breakdown podcast, actually. And what was fascinating about it is from a Binance perspective, you kind of can't... Like, it wasn't that the blockchain got hacked. They have 44 validators, sure. It's not super decentralized, but they're not trying to be decentralized. They're kind of somewhere in between. It's like a Binance, big centralized exchange, having an Ethereum equivalent, right? So don't expect it to be as secure and decentralized as Ethereum. But it was really interesting that by having that hack and then moving on to things like Ethereum and Ethereum having gone to proof of stake and now being subject to regulatory pressures more readily, it did make people think, oh, are they going to get a letter to like, quick, validators, you must freeze these transactions. And in the end, obviously no one's going to. So it's kind of like the hackers won on this one. And that's kind of by design because it proves that the actual networks are secure, censorship resistant, that they work. 
the reality is almost all hacks on the blockchain, it's the bridge. Almost all of the hacks you hear about isn't because somehow the blockchain itself got broken or had a vulnerability in its security. It's that someone, so usually just a programming error, right? Between one blockchain and another, that bridge, there's a, some sort of bug or vulnerability that someone exploits. And that exploit is there by, it's there by design, right? It's, it's someone's found it, they've exploited it, and they've ended up with loads of money. It's a hack, but it's not, it's not because the system broke. So did CZ say anything about it? Yeah. <laughs> he, he made an announcement. Your funds are safe, Foo. <laughs> did he? Um, yeah. He didn't actually say safe, um, <laughs> um Yeah. It, but it was, a big, it was a big hack and, and shouldn't be trivialized. Um, have you followed the Celsius stuff that happened recently? So celsius basically is part of the legal process for following up with debtors do i mean creditors creditors um they publish a list of creditors as part of the insolvency process the problem is if you do that you tell everyone how much money these everyone had put in including first name last name yeah wallet address and uh, that's not good. That's not that's not okay. What happens in the real world? Does this happen if a bank goes down? Is there oh, a list God, no, published of... Anyway, in crypto world, people were up in arms. They said, you know, the perfectly public blockchain uh, clutching at their pearls. I'm appalled. Shocked, I tell you. Shocked. I didn't expect this to happen. And uh, yeah, it's what, what would happen in insolvency. Is it though? Is that what would happen if a bank went down? All of the customers, millions of people's details would just, and how much money they had and everything would just be in the public domain. Surely not. Surely this is like, this is the weirdest thing ever because it's like, you know, you get these like really radical, crazy libertarians. And and I have some libertarian views, but like some of them are like absolutely mad. It's like, we need guns and we need this and like the government won't have my data. And they're really anti things like KYC. And their argument is, well, if you go and take people's details, you put it all in one place. It basically, at some point, someone's going to hack it and it's going to be everywhere. So it's basically like theft of my data. And you're like, uh, okay, I mean, that does happen. But this is like a perfect example that plays into that because you're like... You're a user of Celsius. They unfortunately go under because of mismanagement. You had some funds in there. And now <laughs> everyone on the world now knows first name, last name, how much money you had, what country you were in, potentially your email address, any transactions that you'd made going in and out and which wallets they came from. It's more than just like a doxing. It's actually, um, I mean, in some cases, it's actually very dangerous because, you know, there are some people who in the country they live in, it's not a free place. That being in the public domain, they actually are probably at risk if the authorities in those countries actually get hold of it. So there's a very serious like side effect of this. It's kind of weird. Have they broken GDPR? Like in a massive, massive way? Yeah, clearly something's not gone right here. <laughs> um, I'm moving on. I've. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I really hope that's what the judge says in the case <laughs> something things are um, so something, something's gone. 
that's not right. Now, um, Shapeshift, the DAO, has become even more decentralized. What are you talking about? So do you remember 2017, there was the whole Shapeshift thing where you could kind of swap anything to anything else, like Bitcoin to Ethereum or yeah. to BAT or to whatever. And it would they were just this company that did the intermediary bit. Mm. Um then Eric Voorhees was just like, can't deal with all the regulators constantly trying to make life a misery. Let's just decentralize the whole company. So they, they just over a year ago, they basically said like, we're going to decentralize every element of the stack, starting with an airdrop to all the former users. And they kind of airdropped governance tokens. They had a head of decentralization. They set up a Discord channel. They like basically started employing contractors through Web3 you know, deals that you get paid and, you know, but it's like they really tried to just shift away from being a company. Anyway, they now have released the front end on the web, which is actually, a, yeah, full exchange, um, but hosted on decentralizing infrastructure. So not on AWS, not on Azure, just actually running on a variety of different blockchain stacks to make sure that, you know, the domain is decentralized and the way it's run is decentralized. And they've done the same with the mobile wallet. So they're like a few steps closer now to at some point, maybe in the next two or three years in their roadmap, they'll probably be able to just hold their hands up and be like, well, none of us actually run this. The community, it just runs because it's running on the blockchain. So there's no real company behind it. And it's quite an interesting development, I think. I have a feeling Shapeshift is going to become more popular and, you know, because of things like Celsius and the doxing and all these other things that people start to become aware of, the convenience of what Shapeshift used to offer, which is literally, I want to swap some Bitcoin into Ethereum, make it happen in a nice, simple user interface. That's mostly what people want. They're not day traders. They just want to have secure, easy, manageable, you know, management of whatever assets they have. I suspect this move will be quite quite a pivotal one to so the next sort of 12 24 months and maybe when crypto becomes back in the public consciousness i think it'll be one of the main players mm, very good okay jonathan i think it might be time for this week's not a sponsor so for given the crypto theme of this episode i've kind of done a flashback to something called economy do you remember economy back in like 2017 during the ico rally there was this this thing that launched that you could basically set up like different ratios for your fund of like allocations to bitcoin or ethereum and other people could as well and you'd kind of you could just put money like 100 pounds into this fund based on the spread of ethereum bitcoin and all the other crypto they've made quite a resurgence i tried it out again i set up a fund for us a small time bets one already okay. um which is pretty simple and the the way it works, you don't have to put loads into it. I put in a hundred pounds and the structure of our portfolio is primarily Bitcoin and Ethereum with then little 10% allocations to like Polkadot, Cosmos, Thorchain, Polygon, you know, the like other layer zero um, blockchains. Anyway, I set it up, but economy is quite interesting because you, it's not self-custody, so you don't own your crypto. It's very much a, a way of, having a, a spread portfolio for small amounts of funds so if you've got a hundred pounds you can put it into you know either one cryptocurrency or spread it across like a fund that's balanced 
across different areas depending on what your preference is if it's DeFi, mm. if it's metaverse stuff if it's nfts if it's just the big standard you know ethereum bitcoin ones anyway i set up one first a small time bets one and it's just cracking that structure at the moment but it's an interesting one there's loads of different funds on there but as an actual way of following different portfolios and it's quite interesting oh, excellent thank you very much jonathan for this week's not a sponsor Iconomy. I think it's time for this week in NFTs. This week in NFTs. And some old news, which was the Apple stuff. Did you see Mm. the stuff around NFT fees? It's an extension of everything else they do, isn't it? So they want to take a cut of economic transactions that happen with digital products on the Apple iOS platform. Oh, so it's not specifically NFTs. It's like... And, and, And typically the percentage, which has been as high as 30%, I think it's below a threshold of 1 million revenue per annum. Mm. Doesn't even apply at all. But, um, and it, and obviously it depends if it's subscription, it can be lower, but yeah, it's something, something between 15 and 30%. So this, so how would that work for like NFTs? What does it mean for Apple to take a cut of an NFT? Yeah. Okay. So if the transaction happens on the iOS platform and the distinction there being that if you were on a website through mm. Safari and you transact, then that's not you on iOS. So you can buy a Kindle in oh, Amazon.com yeah. on the website through Safari. You can buy a Kindle book, like a Kindle dig- a digital Amazon book on in the Kindle format. Yeah. And then that purchase, like it's no problem. But if you try to buy it in the Kindle app, halfway through, it will tell you to stop. It'll tell you you can't do it. Because Amazon don't want to lose the cut to Apple. But Amazon is also forbidden from telling you how to complete your transaction. <laughs> so they, they'll just sort of, it just sort of stops and they go, oh, but you can get a sample if you like. Does this mean, so, so, but it also applies to in-app purchases. So you're in the game every time you purchase a thing. And that's what the whole Fortnite thing was about. Yeah. Right? The whole that Fortnite now. was pushing back because all of those in-app transactions Apple was trying to say this is our ecosystem which we worked so hard to build took major risks it paid off but also takes a lot to maintain it and keep it good and moderate it and within this ecosystem if you're transacting we'll take our cut thank you very so, much so take something like Instagram say Instagram I mean, they seem to have integrated NFTs into the flow of like posting things. Say they yeah, do not, have like not a... Purchase and, not purchase and transacting it. But say hypothetically they do. Say they, they, mm. they add a marketplace for NFTs within that. If it's the app, I guess it would be that because only an app. It would Apple would take a fee from that marketplace. Do you think that will base... Obviously, it? now the biggest players within the Apple ecosystem have bent the rules somewhat. Like who? Um, like Amazon so like I don't think the same rules are applying completely uniformly so like Disney plus subscriptions or Netflix subscriptions uh, I'm not sure that the same rules are being consistently and universally applied which is part of what the Fortnite pushback was about uh, but, um, okay. That's but yeah in principle yes in principle absolutely huh. that is strange anyway moving on 
Um, so, but remind me, this came up in the first place because was Apple trying to? The thing is, like OpenSea, there's not a good enough mobile. There's no integration yeah. anyway, and in any so, and also nobody who uses OpenSea is using the OpenSea app, the iOS app, which is perfectly okay. Do but they have an app? You, yeah, yeah, they've got an OpenSea iOS app. <laughs> no. But <way>. <laughs> But you wouldn't be using that. You'd just be browsing them. So it, oh. it kind of gets a bit moot, but yeah. That, uh, yeah, I, I think it came up just after we recorded last time, sort of end of September, where I forget who it was. There was one, I think it came from Apple. They basically said, we will allow NFT sales on the app, on apps in the App Store, but it has a 30% fee because it's, it's an in-app purchase, essentially. Yeah. Which is, it kind of rules them out. I think it rules out Apple's app ecosystem from having any play in the NFT space. I can't imagine anywhere anywhere where that's going to work. Yeah, I mean, it's no different on Android, but yes. Actually, yeah, it, it rules out any of the, the, the middleware players, actually. Cause if they, transactions are happening through a yeah. native app rather than through the browser. And again, the, the challenge is that right now, we're not in a universe where there's a meaningful mobile browser Hmm. integration of a crypto wallet an nft wallet so it's moot anyway right now but yes you're right yeah it's a strange one i wonder whether it was actually long term people it will push people back towards the web like web browser rather than dedicated siloed apps like native apps i don't know if if you think about like the openness of the web it was designed Hmm. to be a browser (laughs) And a wallet, not a walled garden. But it'd be something heavy-handed that the EU does that pushes people back before anything like what you're talking about. Oh, maybe, maybe. Anyway, speaking of um, OpenSea, have you seen some new features they've got? Ah, so I noticed recently that they've got an analytics tab and also their activity tab is a bit more detailed. So it's almost like someone in OpenSea saw... What's that app? Nansen. The, Nansen. It and is. then realised that, hold, hold on, there's a huge rich treasure trove of data here and we only have to surface a tiny bit of it for it to be massively useful to and potentially enriching of our platform. And you know what it might be? Nansen announced they were going to basically make a better version of Discord and a better version of OpenSea because they had, they know how to do it. How, what's wait that's it's true of OpenSea but it's not true of Discord Discord was their main target so okay for, what do they know that helps them make a better Discord because I, I don't really even get why Discord is good in the first like I, I'm using the main it all thing the time was, I'm in it but I don't I couldn't if you asked me to articulate it was the scams does, and the bots why does Discord exist distinct from other platforms I'd be like oh because it's got quite good integration into like collab land. <laughs> like, that's no, all no, I come that, up with. That, that was literally the bit that they were like, the the way that the scamming element from Discord is what they were, they were like, we need to do it better. Because everyone kept Discord. Well, kept the easiest way to prevent Discord like people, yeah. scams would be to change the default on private DMs. No, the whole that's point all of Discord was you can that's message anyone. That was their whole advertising bit. So you, you don't need a friend request. You can message anyone. And then you're saying, but to use it safely, just don't. Yeah. 
And then every every group you join, they're like, okay, so just turn just off, turn the off all the chat where stuff. anyone can directly contact you because every single time it's a scam. Yeah, it's it's kind of defeats the Discord model. But anyway, um, so Nansen had an idea. They thought they can do that better, and they also thought they could do OpenSea better than yeah. OpenSea. Well, they wouldn't have any of the liquidity, but they'd have an incredible analytics dashboard. But the analytics from OpenSea's new beta stuff is is good enough. Actually, it's a, for the first version. Given this is their their like early beta, I think it, they've done a surprisingly good job. Even before Luxware, Luxware didn't do this. I guess maybe they didn't have the data. No, they could have the data. I think it's more about you need to have good backend analytics where you know data warehousing and I all the see analytics engines on top. Sales figures for a subset of a given NFT collection. But yeah, I mean, for a first cut, this is good. But they, they show like outliers. So they show like the yeah, pricing, then they show the outliers, they show number of sales, they show floor price over time, which has always been a thing that you don't really get to track or see normally. The volume, the pricing, they do it by also, but I think you can filter by different attributes. So if you look, which is, it starts to bring a whole new element of, it's the same way like financial people, price of assets, right? You, you bucket them and you kind of, compare them against each other they're starting to to add those elements to which is very it i think it's a level of maturity that people will start to see and go oh there is there is familiarity in this way that you treat it as property right it's a digital property and it's now got the the tools that analyze it so that's quite cool um so anthony hopkins has released some nfts is that true Mm. Okay, what are they? They're, they're they're generative ones, but themed on his um, they're his face. But they 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 have different properties themed on all the films he's been in. So it's kind of. Are you getting one? No, 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 no. They, what's re- the reason I want to talk about it is like, firstly, what the hell? <laughs> like, what world are we in? Where Anthony Hopkins, uh, one of my favorite like actors, like an absolute, like incredible performer of his time and he has like his nft collection i was like so confused and do you remember months ago we talked about guy seri and the weird like web of celebrities that actually make up the nft space like we kind of like you know figured out you had like um aston kutcher and you had guy seri and you had madonna and the people and like there was all this web of celebrities that just kind of endorsing one another to get into this space Anthony Hopkins changed his talent manager to, I, I don't know if it was um, Guy Saviour, one of the other big ones, you know, the ones that we're talking about. And then this like elite actor is suddenly now pushing out an NFT project and it sold out within hours. Like it became massive. It's one of the top 10 in the last week. And I, I'm kind of lost uh, uh, what to think about it because Anthony Hopkins is a legend. He doesn't, it's not like he needs the money or like the, fame or anything it's just like a weird it's a weird one right this doesn't feel this doesn't feel cash grabby or selling out but it feels it feels like um they're testing a new format like leaning on his repertoire of work to inform the pfp artwork and generative things around him that then people collect i assume as part of the fandom of anthony hopkins stuff but it's it's, such a different model from the usual ones, which are somewhere between a Ponzi and a video game. This one is like a genuine love of Anthony Hopkins stuff. 
And it made me think mm. about... Do you know the history of like the Hollywood stars in Hollywood? The, the star system in the studios. No, the, the walk... What is it called? Walk of Fame? What is that walkway with all the stars? The Walk of Fame. Yeah, Walk of Fame? Is that what it is? Whatever. But like, I was listening to like, a little documentary about it and that that was envisioned as a way of drawing people to that area of Hollywood for tourism because it was just it was just suffering because all the studios are actually outside of that area they're not they don't mm. film in that area and no one likes to live around there and all the businesses are suffering so they were like how do we attract people to come and hang out in actual the Hollywood bit and so they, they made this whole walk of fame bit and put stars there and people go and oh, standing on Marlon Brando or like Marlon Monroe whatever it is and mm. you take your picture with the star and it kind of creates this 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 place that people gravitate to and then it boosts the local economy i can't help but feel that the celebrity weirdness in the nft space is like that but for web3 do you know mm-hmm. what i mean yeah like it pulls people into the space and then the money i guess that's brought, brought in is like invested in the ecosystem it just feels a little bit like that well, I mean, the true parallel would be to say, so therefore is something that starts as a gimmick and a real estate just wheeze and then turns into a seemingly established canon, canonical. Maybe. That people are excited about. Yeah, I think uh, so. Maybe that's okay. the anti-Hop- Anthony Hopkins moment. Uh, I'm seeing this. I'm looking at the... I'm looking at the NFTs now. Um, thank you for bringing this to my attention. Did you notice that um, OpenSea changed their icon one day, two weeks ago? No. What is um, it still... Yeah, they changed, no, they changed it just for one day into a zigzag in commemoration of David Bowie and as part of the Bowie on the blockchain NFT collection which includes collaborations with some major artists, but also uh, with Pussy Riot, who produced a limited edition 50 identical NFT collection. And, you know, these various things. And, yeah, so just for one day, Bowie Bowie was a hero in the Bowie on blockchain on on OpenSea. I didn't know that. Yeah, again, it's... um, Obviously, when you're dealing with figures as big as Anthony Hopkins and David <laughs> Bowie, it's like the, uh, the cultural shadow cast by these people is so much larger than some NFT project that yeah. just spun up. So it is hard to come to terms with it and make sense of, okay, now where should I place this <laughs> in the overall canon of David Bowie's contribution to Western society and art? That, I think, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. This is what I, I'm struggling with because, like, Beeple, yeah, he does a drawing a day and goes viral, blah, blah, blah. But, like, Anthony Hopkins is, it's hard, it's difficult, you know, you've got, like, like some of the traits here are about being Hannibal Lecter. It's about being Odin in the Marvel Cinematic. It's, like, it's, it's his entire... Uh, filmography life 
embodied in this NFT collection. It's just a weird, 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 weird homage in this space. It sold out in seven minutes. Sorry, not in a day, in seven minutes. Utility unlock next Thursday on the 27th of October. I'm just, I'm so confused. So what's the utility? No one knows. You unlock it on the 27th of October. It's like, oh no, actually, no, it says 39 random buyers receive receive an autographed Dreamscapes art book. Five buyers will be randomly selected to join an intimate discussion with Sir Anthony Hopkins via Zoom. Like, just, I'm just so, I'm so perplexed. But I almost feel like Anthony Hopkins must have bought into this. I don't think he's being coerced in some weird, weird way. Like a two-time Oscar winner, like the absolute legend that is Anthony Hopkins. I don't think... Pitman was forcing him to do this, I assume. But someone's obviously convinced him. Maybe this is a good way to... Um, It's memorialised? What's the word? Like, to put... Yeah, to put his life's work on the blockchain in some weird kind of, like, event. Anyway. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> so, <laughs> cur- current prices for this range from half an ETH up to the highest kind of actual actual price not just a a made-up number is probably in the region of 50k usd now let's talk about our favorite artisanal craftsman from new tokyo wagmi-san wagmi-san currently between seasons uh in (laughs) in his battles against kaijus and his crafting exploits now what you'll be excited about is two things one we're coming to the end of the time when some people who participated in season one actively can redeem their participation for the right to buy a mirror, aka Kagami, and then turn that into a physical item that commemorates their participation in season one. Mm. And they'll get a digital item, a digital NFT during the burn process. And then they'll also get a comfy hoodie, uh, a physical comfy hoodie. But that's... Not today's news. Today's news is, news is that um, there's some kind of physical, like, what's going on? There's something else happened. Like a digit. there's a, another hoodie has appeared that you can buy. Yeah, like a, an all black, I guess, dark grey hoodie. Are they becoming a brand? This is what I'm really... I'm really perplexed. And can you can you buy it, or do you have to? Well, they haven't said yet how you would get it. It's the reverse Gucci. It's the reverse luxury product one. It's what we said a long time ago. Where this is this is opposite land <laughs> in like every way possible. Is is yeah. that what's happening? Are they building a? I think the dark hoodie that brand? you've seen on Twitter, I oh. think, is just a different product. But I think what we always said would happen is going to happen which is that there will be a crossover of the digital nft of a grail thing where you've put your profile picture face of an ape on some hoodie or nike high tops and you're going to be able to get the physical version of that sooner or later and but but sooner i think so the comfy hoodie is that's what you're going to get because you are going to get a comfy hoodie when (laughs) this is absolutely ridiculous um shadow blank physical hoodies october 24 no i think i think this is real world blanks as in wherever i am blanks going to go i'm gonna go i'm literally leaving so um that's been good that's been a good podcast 
you want to know what we'll talk about next week? Yeah. So I was thinking I'd quite like to go deep on the whole transhumanism tech and everything that's happening in like wearables and body augmentation and all those things that maybe we don't cover enough. And then if we have time, explore the Web3 infrastructure projects. So not just the stuff that we talk about in NFT and DeFi, but like what's actually like going to host the decentralized web. Interesting. Very good. good. I'm looking forward to that. And um, thank you for a great podcast. Likewise. I'll catch you next week. Next week. Started during lockdown. Needed something to do. They looked at each other. They said, hey, I like talking to you. And so from a garden.